The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. For those of you who have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter number three today as we just move our way through the Word of God. And I hope something that's said today will be a help and encouragement and blessing to you personally. Uh, We're currently in a small summer series that we've entitled Encore. Uh, For those of you who may not know, the word encore simply means repeat presentation. And and so throughout this particular series, what what we're doing is we're studying passages of the Bible uh, that we've studied previously. And so um, if some of what we talk about sounds familiar to those of you who've been around for a while, it's because we're going back to some passages that have had a profound impact uh, on the culture and the DNA of our church. And today, today, we're actually going to continue that series this morning. Uh, Let me just take a quick moment and tell you maybe how this sermon uh, came to be and how the Spirit of God uh, kind of originated it, and then we'll dive into our Bible study here uh, this morning. Uh, A couple of years back, I was invited to speak at a Bible conference down in Los Angeles, and uh, there was going to be about five or six hundred folks down there, and many pastors and and, uh, different uh, uh, seminary professors, and, and I was invited to to be one of the keynote speakers, and, and I was in, excited about it, but, but I was also really nervous because some of the other speakers were uh, mentors of mine. Uh, they were seminary theologians and professors that I had had in college, and so it was a little nerve-wracking, but also uh, just very humbling uh, to be able to be a small part. And so for weeks leading up to this particular Bible conference, I was praying and I was uh, in the Word trying to find where the Lord would have me to teach from and and I started to prepare a message that I felt like would be a help at this particular Bible conference and I was preparing and it came closer to that time where I was going to be sharing and I was just pumped I was excited I was looking forward to it and uh, the the schedule for the particular day where I was supposed to speak was it was it was an evening uh, session and uh, there was another speaker before me who spoke for about an hour, and then I was going to get up and kind of close out the Bible conference. I was going to kind of wrap it all up, and, and I was sitting there during the first message that was being preached, and I was listening to the Word of God being taught, and uh, I was just kind of taking it in, and as I was sitting there preparing uh, to get up to preach, I began to sense that the Spirit of God was leading me Uh, to not preach the sermon that I had prepared. And he wanted me to preach and teach on something different. The the problem with that was, is uh, I'm I'm a very kind of, my personality tends to like to be prepared. I don't know if there's any of you like that, and you want to be prepared, and you want to know what you're getting into. And so when this began to happen, I got scared to death. I'm like, there's five or 600 people out here. God's telling me to speak on something else. I don't have any notes. I don't know what to do. And I was just terrified. I was like, this is not going to end well. So the service is going forward, and I'm getting closer to the time that I'm supposed to get up and and, and speak to all of these folks. And uh, in between the messages, uh, someone got up and and kind of sang to prepare hearts for uh, what God was going to do next. And I began to walk up onto the platform and it was one of the most scary sensations I'd ever had because as I was walking up onto the platform, I literally had nothing to say. I stood there and I was just silent for a moment. I'm looking out, five or 600 people, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond. And so finally, I was just kind of like, um, 
just shared with them what had happened. I, I told them, hey, I, I don't have anything to say to you guys. I said, I had something prepared. The Holy Spirit changed it, and I don't know what to say. So I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a word of prayer. I said, when I'm done praying, if I feel the leading of the Spirit, I'm going to teach. And if I don't, I'm just going to sit down, and we're going to be done. We already heard a great message, and, and we'll be all set. Well, I prayed, and I, when I was done praying, um, this is the message uh, that was shared with those people at that particular Bible conference. It came from Ephesians chapter number three, verse number 19. Uh, for those of you who are students of the Bible, you know that chapters number one, chapters number two, and chapters number three of the book of Ephesians uh, are the indicative sections. That is, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he's trying to remind them of everything that God has done for them. And he's just reminding them of how God has blessed them, and how God has favored them, and everything that God has done on their behalf. And that's chapters number one, chapters number two, and chapters number three. And chapters number four, he gets to the imperatives. Because of what God's done, here's what he enables you to do. And so this passage of scripture is found at the very end of the indicatives, the reminders to the church at Ephesus of how good God has been to them. And so the Apostle Paul closes this section of the book of Ephesians with a prayer. And so literally what we're going to read is just a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays on the behalf of this particular church. And so to give us context, we're going to focus in on verse number 19, but I want to start in verse number 14, and I want to read that to you. If you've got your Bibles, you can read it or just listen along, and we're going to kind of sum it up in verse number 19. But here, here's what the book of Ephesians says in chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 14. The Apostle Paul begins to pray for this church, and he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is saying, uh, Church at Ephesus, this is why I pray, and this is what I pray. Verse 15. He goes on to say, verse 16, That God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And so the apostle Paul say, saying, hey, I want, you to, I want you to have some strength. I, I want to give you, I want you to experience grace. Why? The apostle Paul, why, why do you want this church to have grace? Why do you want them to have strength? Notice this, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye being rooted and grounded, notice this word, in love. He wants our lives to be enveloped with love. Verse number 18, and here's what the Apostle Paul begins to pray. He says, he's, I'm praying that you'll have the strength and grace. He's like, this is what I want you to get, that ye may be able to comprehend with all saints. He says, this is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to understand. He says, I want you to understand what is the breadth and length and depth and height of what? Of love. So that you can know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. That, my friends, is an interesting statement. Think about that for a moment. The Apostle Paul is praying to God, and he's saying, this, this is what I pray for you. I, I pray that you would know the love of Christ. You would know how much God loves and doors and cares for you. He says, in fact, I want you to know it so deeply. I want you to know it so profoundly. I want you to know it so rich, rich. I want you to know the love of Christ. He says, I want you to know it in a way that even passes knowledge. That doesn't even make sense. Think about that. 
The Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to know the love of Christ in such a way that is even beyond knowledge. How do you do that? How do you know something in a way that is beyond knowing? But that is what the Apostle Paul is praying for us as believers, for the church at Ephesus, and for you. He is saying, I want you to know the love of God in a way that is surpassed, that's beyond knowledge, beyond your intellectual capabilities. Why? That you might be filled with the fullness of God. Last week, we studied the concept of knowing God. For those of you who were with us last week, we taught on the subject, knowing God. This morning, I'd like to teach on this subject of experiencing God. It's one thing to know about God. It's a very different thing to experience him for yourself. And over the next few moments in our Bible study, I want to unpack what that means and how we too can go beyond just intellectually knowing about God to actually experiencing God for ourselves. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue with our Bible study. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for being a God that has made yourself known. Thank you for being a God that desires a personal and intimate relationship with us. Lord, you don't want us just to know intellectual facts about your character and your works. It is your will that we would intimately and personally be able to relate with you, to enjoy you, to love you, to experience you in our minds and in our hearts and in our emotions that that our spirituality would be more than just religious information, but that it would be experiential, that it would be enjoyable, that it would be personal, and that it would be intimate. Lord, I pray that you would help us to more deeply understand what it is to experience you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I could point to several biblical characters individuals found in the scriptures that had a lot of knowledge about God. They knew facts about the scriptures. They knew uh, details about the character of God. But individuals who, once they had an experience with God themselves, had a profound difference made in their lives. Let me give you a couple of uh, brief examples. I think about Moses, and and maybe some of you are familiar with the character Moses found in the book of Exodus. Uh, Maybe some of you have watched the movie Prince of Egypt. Moses. See, Moses was one who knew about God. He could have given you details and facts about God. Uh, he, He knew something about what it was to 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 know God intellectually and academically. But when he was 80 years old, something happened in Moses' life. It's recorded in Exodus chapter number 19. He's a shepherd. He's out there in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, he sees in the distance, he sees this burning bush. This wouldn't have been terribly uncommon in Middle Eastern desert, except there was a unique thing happening with this bush. It it wasn't burning down. It, It stayed on fire. Moses got closer. He was trying to figure out what was going on, what was happening. And then he heard a voice. It was as if the voice of God 
saying the ground in which you stand is holy. And in that moment, he had a personal experience with God before he had known about God, before he had, he had intellectually understood God, but now he was having this experience with God personally and relationally. And from that point on, he took this shy guy who the Bible says stuttered when he talked and was a little backwards and made him into one who would eventually lead two million Israelites out of bondage, out of Egypt. God used him as a great leader. What happened between a shy backwards guy that stuttered on the backside of the wilderness and turned him into somebody who was a leader of millions what what happened I'll tell you what happened it was an experience with God I I think about characters like like the disciples the disciples in one chapter of the scriptures they're they're found in an upper room they're hiding out their savior Jesus Christ had just been murdered on a cross he had died And now his followers, his disciples were scared for their lives. They were nervous. You could imagine they were biting their fingernails. They were just just imagining and not coming at the door because any minute they were going to be killed, they were going to be murdered, they're going to be assassinated. And, And they're just scared out of their minds. They're huddled. They don't know what to do. They're just terrified. And then you turn the pages of scripture and a few weeks later, these same men, they're standing out in public declaring the power and gospel of Jesus Christ to the degree that the Bible says those same people literally begin to turn the world upside down and now these 12 men, a couple thousand years later, have entirely revolutionized the world in which we know today. How does that happen? How do you take a few guys who are scared in an upper room, afraid they're gonna be assassinated and use them as people that that makes some of the biggest impact in the world in which we live. How does that happen? I'll tell you what happened. In between those two passages, when they're in that upper room, biting their fingernails, wondering what's gonna happen next, the Jesus that had been murdered, who'd been nailed to a cross, who had been buried because he was dead, walked into the room. The resurrected Savior dead, now alive. And when those 12 men saw with their very own eyes the one who had been murdered now walking among them, one of the disciples didn't believe it, literally had to put his fingers in in Christ's nail-scarred hands. What caused them to go from being scared to death to turning the world upside down? I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't knowledge about God. They had, been, they had been with Jesus for three years. They knew all about God. They knew all about prayer. They had heard him pray. They had seen him do miracles. It wasn't understanding, having knowledge about who God was. It was a personal experience with the resurrected power of Jesus Christ that changed something deeply inside of them. We could talk about the character by the name of Saul. Most of us who maybe have been in church for a while, we would know him as the Apostle Paul. The Spirit of God used him to write majorities of the scriptures. But Saul was what he was called before he met Jesus. Saul was an assassin of sorts. He went out and he murdered Christians, people who were believers of this Messiah. He was a killer. He was a murderer. And then we fast forward his life 20 years and he is the boldest proclaimer of Jesus other than maybe Christ himself. 
writes major portions of scripture. What took an assassin, a murderer, and made him one of the greatest evangelists of Christianity in history? What happened? He knew about God before. He had been trained in seminaries. He knew religious teachings. What happened was he had a personal experience with God on the road to Damascus. He got to see Jesus personally with his very own eyes. It wasn't knowledge that changed him. It was an experience with Jesus that changed him. So here's the question I have for you. Do you just know about God? Or do you regularly and passionately experience him yourself? We have people all over our country going to churches this morning who know tons about God. Some of them have been going to church since they were little babies, Sunday school, church, over and over. They could give you facts about who God is. They could give you details about scripture passages. They could quote some of the promises of the Bible. They could give you detail upon detail, fact upon fact, knowledge upon knowledge. But they have no experience of God. They really don't know what it means to enjoy the presence of God personally. They don't know what it is to experience answered prayer. There are people in this room, and it's probably been weeks since you've prayed, and months and years since you've seen an answer to prayer. We know about God. I know about God. You know about God. But are we experiencing God? Enjoying his presence, experiencing answered prayer, sensing and enjoying the fruit of the Spirit pulsating through our lives personally. There are two words in verse number 19 that I'd like to focus on this morning that I believe will help us to know how to experience God beyond just knowing him academically and intellectually and scholastically how we can know God. So let's look at these words. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19. The Apostle Paul is praying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, working and speaking through him. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He says, what I want you to know surpasses knowledge. So let's do a little Bible study here. The word knowledge in this verse is the Greek word gnosis. Gnosis. You say, what does it mean? It means exactly what you would think it means. It means intellectual understanding. So so here's what this verse is saying here. He's saying, I want you to know the love of Christ in a way that surpasses intellectual understanding. That's what this verse is teaching. Guys, I want you to get this. Ladies, I want you to get this. God wants you to know the love of God. He, He wants you to enjoy the love of God in a way that's beyond just what can happen in your head, between your ears, in your brain. It, it has to, you have to know it in ways that is, that, is, that is more than just academics and scholastic and cerebral. He says, I want you to know the love of God, which brings us to that first word, knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse 1 says this, we know that we all have knowledge. Okay, we, we've got knowledge, that's what the scripture's saying here. We know we all have knowledge, but notice this, knowledge puffeth up. It's a weird word, but basically it means knowledge makes you arrogant, when it's just knowledge by itself. People who have religious information and that's all they've got are some of the most arrogant people on the planet. 
How many of you have met somebody who's religious, who, who thinks they're all holier than thou, and they know everything about the Bible, and they know all these details about Jesus, and, and, and they'll preach to you about this and preach to you about this, but they've got no love, there's no peace in their lives, there's no joy, there's just, it's just facts. They've got knowledge, and that's what this passage is saying. It's saying here, oh, we know that we have knowledge, but knowledge alone, it puffs up. It turns people arrogant. It causes them to be proud, and it's, it's difficult to be around these types of people. And what's sad is our churches are filled with them. Arrogant, proud, stuck-up Christians because we have a little Bible information in our noggins that makes us feel superior to everybody who doesn't. Aren't we special? And this is why half of your unbelieving friends want nothing to do with church and nothing to do with God and nothing to do with Jesus. They're fine with Jesus. It's the fact that you're always stuck up that's the problem. <laughs> See, that's a harsh word. That's what this scripture's teaching. Knowledge makes you arrogant when it's knowledge by itself. It goes on to say it's love. Love that builds up. C.H. Spurgeon, he was a, a theologian from the 1800s. He says, this, he says this about this passage. He said, to know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are the greater fools for it. There is no fool as great as the knowing fool. He's talking about in the context of religious information. Um, throughout history, there have been people who have known a lot about God and a lot about the Bible, and it did very little for how they turned out. I'll give you one extreme example. How many of you are familiar with Joseph Stalin? All right. Dictator murderer, horrible, horrible person, caused so much pain in the world. Most people might not know this about Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin went to spiritual school growing up. That is, he went to the equivalent of, of Christian school in elementary grades. How many of you knew that? He was a little Christian school kid. <laughs> Woo, Joseph. In fact, he was so passionate about it, after he graduated from school, uh, Joseph Stalin actually went to seminary. And for six years, he was in seminary. In seminary, learning to teach the Bible. In fact, while he was in seminary for those six years, he was learning about God, the Bible. He, he was taught church history, liturgy, homiletics, hermeneutics, theology. He even sang in his church choir. I'm not talking about somebody who like visited Bible college for a minute. I'm talking about six years of graduate level education to be in ministry. So how does a guy like this turn around and end up murdering 20 million of his own people? Killing them in cold blood. Here's a guy who knew tons of the Bible. He probably had more scripture memorized than most of us in this room. He could quote things about God and theology and scripture and church history. He could have told you how to run a ministry, how to run a church. How does a guy like that turn into the monster that we know now? Here's why. Because Christianity isn't just about information. 
information alone will mess you up royally. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to help us understand here. James chapter number two, verse 19, this is crazy. James says, you believe there is one God? Hey, you do good. So James is saying, hey, you believe in God, you know about God, hey, that's a good thing, right? You know about God, you're doing good, you're doing good. But he goes on to say, hey, but, but, but by the way, the devils also know, the devils also believe, and they tremble. You see, what's, J- what's James saying? He's saying, you believe in God? Hot dog, because so do demons. <laughs> so do devils. And apparently, so do dictators. They know about God. They know details and facts. They know statistics and can quote verses. Demons and devils and dictators know about God. My friends, that's not the point of Christianity. Christianity is not about coming into a church, sitting down, and then just taking in religious information so we can go out the back doors and feel superior to everybody around us who doesn't know what we know about religion. You see, what this verse is trying to help us understand is that there is something more to spirituality than just knowledge and intellectual wisdom, academic and cerebral understanding. There's something more to this Jesus story than what you can put in your head. And I I don't want this to come across wrong, but it's it's not that the knowledge is bad. Uh, don't, don't walk away from the sermon being like, well, pastor said I shouldn't read my Bible. <laughs> pastor said I shouldn't come to church anymore, you know, because all that's overrated. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, it's, it's the knowledge is not the end. It's not the goal. It's a vehicle to get us somewhere. But too many people in churches just think that that's the big, that's the big goal, to fill our heads with statistics and facts and details and know all about God. And that's good to the extent that it produces something more in your life. So let's keep reading. It says here in verse 19, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to know the love of God which passes knowledge. So the word knowledge was gnosis. This is intellectual understanding. But the first word know, notice in verse 19, it says to know the love of Christ. That word know is actually a different Greek word. I know they sound the same, know and knowledge here, but the word know in this passage is the word gnosko. It's it's an entirely different Greek word. So this word here, gnosis, that speaks of intellectual understanding. But the word gnosko in the original uh, Greek language, it's a verb, not a noun. And it speaks of experience or experiential understanding, not merely the accumulation of facts. So let's go back to our text. What the Apostle Paul is saying is he's saying, I want you to know this thing, but I need you to know it in a way that is beyond just head knowledge. He's basically saying, I need you to experience it. I need you to enjoy it. I need you to sense it in a way that you can never think it. I want you to know God's love. I want to say to you today, 
the Apostle Paul is praying for this church at Ephesus and, and, and he's praying for future believers and I am praying for you that you guys would know how deeply and how profoundly you are loved by the God of the universe. And you might have been rejected by a parent and rejected by a spouse and you might have been rejected by family and you might have even been rejected by a church at some point, but I want to remind you of this. You've never been rejected by God. He has a love for you that far surpasses your cognitive ability to understand. That's what this verse is trying to communicate. That you would experience in your soul, that you would enjoy in your spirit the love of God so richly and so deeply and so profoundly that it would literally surpass your ability to intellectually, cognitively get it. That's what he's praying for you. And that's what I pray for us, that we would experience the love of God, that we would enjoy it. One theologian said it this way, and this might be in your study notes. It is possible to be a walking encyclopedia of biblical knowledge and have all the answers in the scriptures without really knowing him who is the answer. You say, what's that theologian trying to say? What he's trying to say is, you, you can have all the Bible facts and all the scripture trivia. You, you, every time you, know, you get to a little party and they pay Bible trivia, you're the winner, right? What it's saying is, you, you can know all the answers about the Bible and still miss the point completely. It's not about rules. It's not just about knowledge. It's about an enjoyable experiential relationship with your heavenly father. That's what this thing is about. Your God wants you to experience him. He wants you to enjoy a relationship that you can sense, that you can feel, that's real and profound, that goes deeper than feeling like you just went to a college class on comparative religions. He wants you to experience him. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter number three, verse 10. He begins to pray. He says, oh, that I may know. He's using the same word. He's using the word gnosko. He's saying, oh, I want to experience God and the power of his resurrection. Paul is not saying here in this passage, oh, I want to know more facts about how Jesus rose from the dead. That's not what he's praying here. What he's praying, he's making a statement of faith, declaring his hope that he too will experience this power that made Jesus rise from the dead. The apostle Paul's saying, I want to experience that type of power too. I want to experience something that real and that profound. I want to sense it and enjoy it so real. I can't deny it. That, my friend, is Christianity. Christianity transcends information. It transcends cognitive ability. It's not that we don't learn. It's not that we don't understand. These are good things. But it is to take us to an experience where we are enjoying all that God desires for us to enjoy. Uh, let me try to illustrate it this way. Um, one of my favorite songs, or I should say a song that resonates with me deeply, um, is a particular one that I'll, I'll tell you about in a moment. Um, but for sake of illustration, let me throw the notes up on the screen here for, for just a second, all right? So uh, this particular song that uh, I really enjoy, that really resonates with me, uh, it's written in the key of F, all right? That's what this passage here says. And you say, how do you know this is written in the key of F? Hunter told me it was, all right? So key of F 
This, is the, uh, this, this particular song is written in the key of F. If you notice, there's those fours on the far left-hand side. And so this is written in 4-4 four, four timing. I mean, that's a great song, you know. It's, are, you, are you feeling it? I mean, this is, this is good. It's key of F, 4-4 four, four time. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. You can kind of start feeling kind of a, you know, tempo of the song a little bit here. I see that 80 up at the top. That 80 means that if a musician was playing on an instrument with a metronome, you know, some of you took piano lessons, the metronome was ticks back and forth, ticks back and forth, and keeps you on pace, that metronome would be clicking at, at 80 beats a minute. That's the, that's the speed of the song, all right? And, and so it's kind of moving along. You'll notice there this, this oh, it's great, right? This song, it's a MF, see where that MF is? That means mezzo forte. That uh, means like, it's, it's pretty loud. It's, it's a big one, all right? And then notice as it starts, I get this, the first measure there, you see that first measure? It kind of builds a little bit, and by the second measure, boom, it gets real big. You see those notes right there in the second measure? Kind of gets quiet again and starts building again, and boom, it gets big again. Man, how many of you guys, you guys are like feeling this song? You guys getting it? Man, you enjoying it? Enjoying this? I'm giving you all these details about this, this great song, right? 4-4 four, four timing, 80 beats a minute, notes moving. It's written to be a classical piece has brass and stringed instruments. Here, here's the reality. I, I could go on all day sharing information about this song. But the reality is, just having details about music is not the same as experiencing it. So let me just take a moment. I'm going to have the guys in just a second. They're going to queue up the song. They put some pictures to it. Don't focus on the pictures. Kind of keep focused on the, on the music itself. If you need to close your eyes, feel free to do that. I want you to, I want to, get, I want you to get what I'm talking about. After my brief lesson on the song that I just gave you a moment ago, you literally knew more about that particular piece of music than most of the world's population. You knew it 4-4 timing, you knew it was in the key of F, you knew it was mezzo forte, 80 beats a minute, I was telling you how it worked. You had all the facts and details about the song, but it hardly moved you at all. But something happens when you experience a song. When you enjoy it, when you sense it, something happens that can't happen with mere academic understanding of something. So I want to ask you this question. Metaphorically speaking, are you just academically aware of God's song? 
Or do you experience the music of His grace? Do you experience the rhythms of His love? The melodies of His mercy and the harmony of His presence. Do you experience it yourself? Do you enjoy it? Do you sense it? Does it vibrate and pulsate through your veins? Is it something that you know personally or is it all academic? According to this passage, experience is greater than knowledge. Experience is greater than knowledge. Let me caveat this for just a second. Intellectual knowledge is not bad. It's just inadequate. It's, it's just not enough. We, we, we need to understand the Bible. We, we need to understand God on an academic level. But it's inadequate. It's not the point of it. Experience is greater than knowledge. So let me make this practical because some of you are sitting here and you're like, okay, you're being all ethereal, subjective, philosophical. I don't even know what you're actually talking about right now. <laughs> so let me try to do my best to put the cookies on the bottom shelf for a moment. And, and this is what I mean. I'm saying this. You could memorize all of the Lord's Prayer and be able to quote it verbatim. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. But that's not the same as experiencing answered prayer for yourself. Being able to quote the Lord's prayer is cerebral. Having God answer a prayer that you prayed in a spirit of faith that only he knew about and it happened, that is an experience. And for the Christian, it is the experience, the experience that vibrates most deeply. Let me go on. You, you, you might be a person here today and you might know everywhere in the Bible where the promises of God are located. You can go through the scripture and you can say, well, in you know, Galatians chapter number four, there's this promise and in Ephesians chapter number three, there's these promises and, and you could literally know where every promise of God is located in the entire scripture. But I wanna say this, that is not the same as experiencing God's promise for yourself. And saying, God, you said this in your word. I need to experience what you've declared. And then being able to enjoy that and sense it for yourself. That's what I'm talking about. You might be here today and, and, and you might know so much about theology and about God that you could literally take a pen and paper and write out a theological dissertation on the doctrine of the omnipresence of God and you could wax eloquent with your words and you could write profoundly on paper all about how God is everywhere at once and how he's with the people here and with people there and how he's two places and you could, you could wax eloquent about that but I want to say this writing a theological dissertation on the doctrine of the omnipresence of God is not the same or as good as experiencing the presence of God daily in your own life. If you practice his presence regularly and sense that he is with you and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. One's intellectual, one's experiential. The intellectual is given to us so that we might have the faith to appropriate the experience. 
I could go on. There are some people in this room, and because, man, you went to VBS and you went to Sunday school, you could literally quote every fruit of the Spirit. And you could tell me what all the fruits of the Spirit are. You might even know a little Sunday school song about all the fruits of the Spirit that you learned, you know, way back when you were a little kid. But I say this, being able to name every fruit of the Spirit found in the Scripture is not the same as experiencing the fruit of the Spirit as you walk with God moment by moment. You say, what do you mean? I'm saying this, knowing how to articulate what the fruit of the Spirit is is not the same as being able to experience a peace that passes all understanding when your entire life is falling apart. See, the fruit of the, experiencing the fruit of the Spirit is, is having a peace that transcends your difficult circumstances. Having the fruit of the Spirit is, is having that joy that's indescribable even when people are treating you like dirt. It transcends circumstances. It transcends what's happening in the physical realm. And that's what I'm saying. For some of us, we can talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We can articulate how we could have joy and how we can have peace. But for some of us, it's been months and years since we've experienced true fruit of the Spirit in the sense that we're able to demonstrate it in the most difficult of moments. And this is what God wants for you to have. He wants you to feel unconditionally loved when you feel like you've been betrayed by everybody closest to you. That you would experience a God of comfort and love even when human beings around you are just making you feel horrible. To experience God in those dark moments and in those difficult times. That is what it means to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. And that is what God wants for you to enjoy. So let's wrap this thing up. Uh, sociologists and psychologists might say it this way, and I think it's one of the reasons it's so important to, to wrestle through this. They would say that experiences tend to have more influence than education. Experiences tend to have more influence than education. Um, you say, what do you mean by that? that? That is to say this. The experiences that you have are more powerful than the information you possess. So I don't, I don't know if that's true. But let's just play this out for a moment, all right? All of us know, all of us in this room, basically know how to stay healthy and trim. How, most of us know how to lose weight if we needed to, right? You eat your vegetables, eat nutritious foods, you exercise pretty regularly, you drink water, multivitamins, you get some exercise. We know that that's what we're supposed to do. We have the what? Knowledge. But we also have the experience of eating a chocolate fudge brownie with ice cream a la mode, <laughs> drizzled with caramel and walnuts, and it's a good experience. Hallelujah. For most of us, you know what ends up winning out? The experience over the knowledge. See, your heart and your affections tend to move in the direction of your experiences over knowledge. This is in the physical realm. This is with your diet. This is with your health. This is in your relationships. And this is in your spirituality. So I say this. 
if, if, if your most vivid, dramatic, sensational, gratifying experiences happen, apart from God, don't be surprised when your life begins to move in that direction. When your most vivid and dramatic, sensational and gratifying experience happen at work or happen in a hobby or happen in that kind of relationship that you know is not so healthy, but that's where your experiences are. And that's where your most profound experiences happen. That is eventually where your heart will begin to move to. That's how it works. In fact, inferior experiences tend to be more impactful than superior knowledge. Now, I'm going to put this on the screen because I need this to resonate. In the end, it doesn't matter how deeply you intellectually understand God and his word if that knowledge doesn't lead you into deeply experiencing God yourself. That's what the information's given to us so we can experience him mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Why? Because ultimately your life will tend to move in the direction of your most profound experiences. And this, my friend, is why it's so vital that you experience God for yourself. Because if you don't experience God, it won't be long until your heart and life moves away from him. Why would you stay? You're not experiencing anything from God. You don't experience answered prayer. You're not experiencing a peace that passes understanding, a joy unspeakable and indescribable, a love that is unconditional and fulfilling and satisfying and gratifying and content. That's not your experience. All you have is coming to church for a decade and filling your head with cerebral information about religion and then you're like you know what this is kind of pointless I'm out of here and the reason you're out of here is because you've never experienced God you don't know what God has to offer the love that he makes available the prayer that he desires to answer again and again and again he wants you to experience him guys we're not a social club where we come together so you can hear me give you some facts about the Bible. So you can walk out and feel superior to everybody else who doesn't know about the Bible. That's not the point. The point is to give you some information that becomes a seed that when planted in your heart with a spirit of faith blossoms into an experience of love and joy and peace and answered prayer and fulfilled promises. That is the point of Christianity. See, you'll hear Christians say things like this. It's not about rules, it's about a relationship. And that's true. And yet those same people don't actually experience the relationship. They don't know what it is to have an intimate, personal, gratifying, satisfying, enjoy, enjoyable experience with the God of the universe. And so their life moves away from God. And I'll say this, this is especially true for those of you who are parents. 
The reason most kids want nothing to do with church by the time they get to be 18 years old is because for 18 years, we stuff their heads full of information, we give them knowledge, we cram it down their throat and expect them to turn out to be good little kids. I'm here to tell you, information's not gonna do that. Even good biblical, scriptural, religious information won't transform the heart of a child. You know what our kids need? They need to experience God through us. They need to be around parents who are getting answers to prayer that when they pray to God, God comes through they need to see the miraculous with their very own eyes they need to see the fruit of the spirit they need to see unconditional love even when they're being difficult they need to experience grace even when life is hard they need to see in you a peace that passeth understanding even when you've lost your job and the doctor calls and says the health report didn't turn out the way you'd expect they need to see you experiencing God for yourself I'll say this you show me a kid who really experiences God, they ain't running from him. When they experience him as the only source of love and grace and peace and joy, they'll run toward that. It was Philip Yancey who said, I left the church because I found so little love and grace there. And he says, I returned because I didn't find it anywhere else. My friends, what the world needs is love. Not conditional love. Unconditional love and grace. They need to see lives fill the peace of God, even when business is not going the way we want, and even when we don't have the finances to pay the bills, and even when our in-laws are being crazy, and even when the coworkers are driving. They need, they need to see somebody who is actually experiencing God in the midst of the messiness that we have in this world. Our kids need it. And can I say this? You need it. That, that's what Christianity is all about. The last passage, Psalms chapter number 34, verse 8, says this. The psalmist says, he says this. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Notice this. The psalmist doesn't use intellectual terminology. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, learn and know that the Lord is good. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, learn and know. He's not using intellectual terminology here. He, he uses sensory terminology. He says, oh, taste. He says, I want you to see. I want you to experience this for yourself. Don't take a pastor's word for it. Don't take a denomination's word for it. Don't take a religion's word for it. No, taste this for yourself. See it for yourself. That he's so good. He's good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, just, just like when you enjoy your favorite meal, Thanksgiving, you bite into that and it just the flavor fills your mouth and the food fills your belly. And it's a, it's a, it's a great experience when you just eat your favorite, favorite lunch. He says, I want, that's how I want your relationship with me to be like. I want you to taste, I want you to, I want you to sense the flavor of my grace. I want you to experience, I want you to experience the taste of my love. See, to the degree that your intellectual biblical understanding leads you to an experiential relationship, it's a good and profitable thing. 
to give you information, and if you take it and plant it in the seed of your life, and it, and, it, and it springs forth in an experience of joy and peace and love, not because you're manufacturing it, but because you're experiencing so much from God, it just flows, it just flows, it just flows. It's almost like organic and accidental, like you can't help it, you're getting so much from God, it just, it just overflows. That's, that's the way this thing is supposed to work. It's helpful and good to have information when it's taking you on and it has a purpose. But outside of the purpose, outside of the purpose, I'll say this, information outside of that purpose is actually, that is just knowing Bible facts, can actually be pointless and actually counterproductive as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter number eight. Uh, Today is July 15th, 2018. Uh, Today is my, uh, actually my spiritual birthday. It was 29 years ago today. It was July 15th. 1989, where I first tasted and began to experience God personally for myself. I remember it like it was yesterday. I placed my faith in Christ and began a relationship with God that changed everything for me. My life's never been the same. Here's the deal, though. I didn't fully understand everything that I got to experience back 29 years ago. But over time, I've learned to enjoy more richly and more deeply and understand it's more than just information. It's experiential. And that's what we desire for you. Notice what the Bible says in our text, and we're done, Ephesians 4, 9, that you would gnosko, that you would experientially understand the love of Christ, which passes gnosis, passes intellectual understanding. Why? Paul, why, why do you want us to get this? That we might be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. That we might be filled with the fullness of God. How do we get filled with the fullness of God? By filling our brains with information about religion? No. By experiencing him. Experiencing answered prayer. Experiencing his love. Experiencing that joy. Experiencing peace. Experiencing the fruit of the spirit. Experiencing his presence. That is how we're filled with the fullness of God. Is Christianity just a bunch of rules for you that you have to live up to, things you have to do and not do? Or is it about a relationship that is experiential, that is enjoyable, that is something you can sense deeply and profoundly? That That is what God desires for you, that you would experience the love, the love of God. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.